Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Hey everyone, and welcome back to A Little Better. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for listening. My name's Aaron Hickson. I am the Rochester Campus Pastor, and I am joined today by Matt Snyder, who is our Production Director at the Rochester Campus. And that's weird to say because that is the first time I've introduced you that way. We are back working together at a different campus than we previously worked together at. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Which I think is probably a theme in 2020. In similar capacities. Right. Yeah. Like almost the same jobs, different place, (laughs) transplanted. But anyway, hey, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed your uh, week off from having to hear from us and uh, that you had a great Thanksgiving, uh, recognizing that it's a little different. As always, we want to ask you to be engaging. If you want to email, if you want to text, rate, review, subscribe, however you engage, please do so. Uh, Rather than just listening, use those fingers on a type device, whether that's screen or keyboard. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Um, I will say podcasts are a funny thing. There, I probably listen to five or six podcasts religiously, and they don't know I exist except for the subscriptions. I tell everyone to rate, review, subscribe, and I probably don't on the podcasts that are big and out there. So <laughs> I'm being very hypocritical, but we would appreciate your engagement with this material and we will get going because I'm going to stop doing my intro material as soon as possible. Probably should have stopped a minute ago. Anyway, Matt, you talked about in your intro. Well, actually I was going to get into your intro, but I do need to let the people know that you are not a casual Turkey consumer. (laughs) You are a deliberate scientific Turkey consumer. So tell us a little bit about what we need to know about Turkey creation because I think most of us just are out here eating it and you're out there crafting it. Yeah. I mean, so Turkey's like a thing and I've, I've got a big family. So we did Turkey at Christmas too, because it's, that's like one of the only animals that you can cost effectively buy for that many people. Um, and my dad's a, a research chemist, so he's big in science stuff. And I feel like I was like in middle school and he basically was just like, Turkey's awful why does it have to be awful? And he just basically like started to science the heck out of the process. And like over the years, we've just come up with this process of like brining and how to roast and like where to take temperatures and stuff that just results in really, really good Turkey. And it's, I don't know, I'm a science guy too. So I enjoy it. It's fun. I got my little temperature thing and I can like get graphs and all kinds of fun stuff. I did notice that that's sort of like, I look forward to each year the like, Hey everyone, public service announcement. If you're not brining your turkey already, you're behind or something. I'm, I was just, because I will never be, I actually was almost involved in carving a turkey for the first time this year. Ooh. I had the carving implements, a pokey thing and a sharp cutty thing and panicked and handed them to someone nearby. So I didn't even do that. Uh, it's, it would not be good. It would not be good, but I love, I love the scientific approach. You in your intro, though, Matt, you talked about a poem that you memorized at some point in your life. And I want to know what it was and uh, if you ever got to recite it. I feel sad for you that it (laughs) it ended the way that it did. Yeah, I I I can't. I've spent the last couple of days trying to remember what the poem was. What's funny is I can remember like there was like a a set that you could choose from. And one of them was like this goofy poem where like the word elephant and telephone 
basically get like all like you get like elephant and telephant and then telephone and elephant. And like, that was a thing that like everybody else picked because it was goofy and second grade hilarious. And my mom didn't let me do that one. Uh, I don't really know why. I just know she didn't, um, didn't have enough literary merit or something. My mom's an English teacher. So (laughs) that was probably part of it. So, yeah, I don't remember what the poem actually was, but um, I just remember that in class I got up to do it and had nothing. And and the, the teacher, like, coached me through it. Like, she gave me a prompt, and, like, once I got a couple words out, it turned out okay, but it uh-huh. felt like there was just three hours of me standing up there just, like, I got nothing. That is funny. Oh, my goodness. And even if you haven't experienced that, you've – seen it happen like in presentation everybody at some point in their life has probably had to recite something I remember my senior year of high school we had to memorize the first 14 lines of um the Canterbury Tales but we had to memorize it in middle English so it like made no sense it you know it was it felt sort of like English but not really and I ended up I think I did okay on the actual do me saying it but there were so many people in the class who you got up and you're just like oh no this is going to take half an hour of them mm-hmm. just like painfully going through and i definitely have a uh, a bad memory of in awana trying to recite the books of the bible and not being able to remember zephaniah and zachariah and which order they go in in the old oh, testament yeah. and failing that that failing i guess I say that in air quotes like not passing the section or whatever and just being devastated like Dude, that was, a lot of was brutal <laughs> <laughs> no there were just no exceptions given like i don't care if you don't know zephaniah and zachariah then go sit yep. down child. <laughs> so anyway we've been there and i am a huge reminders person when I discover every time Siri gets an update where you can get more robust with reminders, I take full advantage of it. Like now there's a, I, I don't remember, I think it must've been the last, uh, the iOS that you can have it remind you when you go to text someone. So in other words, like the next time I'm texting Matt, remind me to say this to Matt and like, it'll pull up inside of, you start to text, I'm going to be like, bling, and it'll pop down everything or remind me when I arrive somewhere or whatever, because I have a terrible memory. So I'm all about, I'm all about some reminders. <laughs> uh, but when, but speaking of reminders, when you started to talk about Asaph and how he's a more relatable guy, I was immediately thrown back to having heard you talk about him before. So mm-hmm. how has he come up before? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, uh, two years ago, we did a series called songs of summer where we were, mm. we were going through some of the Psalms and, uh, the Psalm I was talking about there was also from Asaph, just totally coincidence. Like I didn't plan that. Um, I was going through kind of with this idea of reminders and came across Psalm 77. It was like, okay, this is a really good, like kind of home base for what I'm talking about. Um, and they just kind of so happened to be written by the same guy. And I think it's a little bit of a melodramatic kind of thing that I think knowing who is being melodramatic and writing it makes a big difference. Because like I said, like if it's David freaking out about his problems, like that's kind of hard. So like the fact that this is a, a reasonably accessible person, at least in my mind, makes his process more helpful. Yeah. And I loved your, your, you know, he's going to his bandmate. Like that just felt so 
something that could actually happen. Like, yo, bro, I just wrote another song. Like Joel Houston every day in the office <laughs> going over For to sure. whoever's going to record his most recent top Christian song. Um, but yeah, and even just the fact that like he was in the temple with the presence of God and then mm-hmm. was questioning the power of the presence of God. Like that's very relatable as to people who, while we have the Holy Spirit, we don't have a visible expression of God himself in like a glowing room with heavy curtains covering it or something. Mm So, um, but we met, I don't know, the sermon writing process is long, a long time ago (laughs) and talked about how you wanted to cover memory and remembering, or we even, I think we at one point kicked around a title that you were thinking of like, don't forget to remember or remember to remember or whatever there was. And you even, you shouted out to some of that in the message, but how did you arrive at this? Sometimes a message that's a standalone is actually harder to come up with when you're in an eight week series and you're told, like I was told cover Exodus 16 and 17. In some ways that's easier because you've got such clear parameters. This is like, talk about whatever you'd like on November the 29th. (laughs) So that's hard. Talk to, how did you land at this? Yeah. So we've obviously just a hot off the presses on a series on Moses. And, um, while we were, we were kind of in that series, um, just reminded me of back in seminary, one of my old Testament professors basically has a theory that like the, those couple chapters where Israel walks out of Egypt, the plagues pass over all of that stuff in, in his mind is like the critical moment of the old Testament. Like that's, the thing that like everything before it kind of works to that point and everything after it kind of like reflects back on that point. And so um, you start to see that um, the, the kind of key phrase, if you read through the old Testament, God's over and over saying, I'm the Lord, your God who brought you out of Egypt, which is basically him saying like, remember I did some stuff for you. You can count on me. Like that's kind of the foundational thing that like God points to when he's talking with Israel is like, Hey, remember when I like pulled off a bunch of stunts and brought you out of a country, um, and made you not slaves anymore. Um, that's like the foundational, uh, I think the term the professor used was touchstone event. Mm. Um, and so just going through Moses thinking about that, that kind of got me in the headspace thinking about like, so for Israel, it's really important for them to remember the significant stuff that God did in the past. And then just kind of thinking through how that translated to us. Um, even like we were talking about it in my community group a couple of weeks ago, like kind of like one of those like rabbit trails off of a discussion got onto that topic and it just seemed like it was coming up a lot. And so it felt like something that connected pretty well and that, that I felt like was a thing that I've kind of rubbed up against a bit. And so it made sense to just kind of start to tackle that. Yeah. And I agree in particular with the Exodus part of that. I, obviously we, we went to the same seminary, we took the same seminary classes with the same professor. So yep. um, I think that's a, a certainly defining moment. And then once you think about it that way, a lot of the old Testament begins to make sense Right. Rather than, again, this confusing set of books all written to people that I don't really understand in a poetic form, oftentimes like, you know, huge sections of the prophets are, you know, sermon type poetic descriptions and they can feel confusing. And what of this is prophecy? What of this already happened? I don't understand all the cultural references. If you can think about it as like, okay, what's the big thing? It's the Exodus. 
combined with Passover, like those two things combined and a lot of other um, background noises. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a lot of other uh, uh, things in the Old Testament begin to make sense. Just like if you can read the New Testament in light of the cross as the defining event, then a lot of other things can start to get prioritized. Well, the Exodus is the thing and it is the thing that if they could have kept their eyes on it, if Israel could keep their eyes on it or remember it, remember to remember it, then everything else would begin to make sense. And so often throughout the Old Testament, as you said, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt or just anything related to his his promises to them and then his following through on those promises in the form of the exodus. Mm-hmm. The Psalms are just littered with it, always referencing back to that moment in all kinds of both direct and indirect ways. So it's certainly touchstone. What was the other linchpin? Lots of lots of descriptions that are the, it is the moment. Um, and I think for us, I loved your connection to Passover because the same thing, Jesus takes their linchpin moment. And in this insanely sacrilegious way, if you don't actually believe in Jesus, you know, this- right. The, the 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 Christian practice of the communion or the Eucharist is insanely offensive to an Orthodox Jew. Right. And I don't say that in a joking way. Like I'm laughing at it because it's just, it's insane. He took their most precious thing, flipped it on its head, made it about himself. And so for us, of course, that same parallel correlates to it being our most important thing for us to remember. And so much of our lives would be better when we remember Christ's sacrifice for us. Anyway, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, other than I agree with you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, so remembering the idea is he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. Um, at one point, you even made a point that I thought was really helpful, that we need to find God's faithfulness. And one of the ways to do that is look into our own life, but other ways is to actually look to other people's lives. So talk to us about how how do we find faithfulness in other people's lives, and if we can't even do that in the Bible. Like, what what is that all about? Yeah, I think... You know, at some point, anytime you're up against a question of whether God still loves and cares about you, I think it's fundamentally a question of if God is still the kind of person, because I don't, I don't think it's hard to debate that God has in the past loved and cared for people. Hmm. Moses in the Exodus is a great example of that. Like God literally like does crazy fireworks show specifically to bring a group of people out of captivity. Mm -hmm. And you can find all kinds of examples of God working circumstances out for the good of people. So then when we face a situation where we're finding ourselves up against that, does God still have my best interest in mind? Does he still care? Is he still able to, to help? You're asking a question of, is God still the same person. Mm. So because, because if, if God is all good and all powerful, then there's a sense in which that what we're experiencing has to be a part of a good and powerful plan from him. The other side of that, the only real other option is that God either isn't good or isn't powerful, which if he was, then it's a question of, well, what, what happened to God? Did he like just give up? So finding those examples, even if they aren't for yourself, I think it's great if it is for yourself, because that makes it more personal. Like there's that emotional component there that like you're trusting something that you've seen firsthand. But even if you don't have that, you can, you can kind of see it in other people. Um, Or even if you have to go back to Bible times, like you can get 
concrete examples of God working for good of people. So then that gets you, like I said, to that fork in the road where you still have to make a decision. But like, if you can establish that at least at one point, God was powerful and good enough to make something out of a bad situation, Mm -hmm. then you're at a spot where you can start to make decisions about whether he still is powerful and good enough to work in your own situation. Right. It's a historical data point. So in Romans 8, again, if we think about the touchstone moment of the Old Testament is, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Well, in the New Testament, Paul says, if God did not spare his own son, in other words, if data point, God was willing to give up his son, Jesus, Mm -hmm. will he not also graciously give us all things? So if point in history is true, and the answer is yes, then make decisions based on that. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, whether we have to go back all the way to the cross, all the way to the Exodus, or can we go back a month to where God provided something cool? Mm -hmm. No matter how far back you have to go, you will eventually run up against data that God is good, God is powerful, and he's working for your good. Mm-hmm. What has changed? Has my perspective on that? Even Lara at the Rochester campus, Webster folks wouldn't have gotten this, but anybody online, she came up and talked about how, like, I've lost my keys. My keys didn't stop to exist existing. I simply lost track of them. I lost track of my keys. Right. God didn't stop being faithful. I've lost track of his faithfulness. So I just simply need to be reminded, like, yes, this is still true. Nothing has, there's no evidence that things have changed over time. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, he is still the person that he says he is. And not only is he the, as you said, it's fundamentally a question of, is God what he said? And is my relationship to God unchanged from when he was in the business of doing things like redemption? And if he's fundamentally the same God and my relationship with him is fundamentally unchanged, AKA his promises are for me, then... I can, as you said, you just have to choose faith. There's still a fork, but I've got all the data I need to make the right kind of decision. Right. It's um, you, you great example. Anybody who's got kids knows this. It's the it's the kid jumping into the pool, mm. and dad says, "I haven't dropped you yet." Right. And that in turn gives the kid confidence enough in the middle of this scary water situation. He doesn't have to know the water side of it, but what he's got is dad who has consistently caught him, Mm, yeah, which in turn lets him make that jump without having to freak out. Exactly. There's enough data over time, and which is why I I get for the Israelites, I understand the difficulty of, man, the first few rounds of God's provision, it's understandable why it's really hard to trust him. Uh, You know, 40, 50, 80, 100, 1,000 years into God providing over and over again, it starts to be like, you know, we're out of excuses. We've seen God's best at work for thousands of years, starting with the Exodus all the way up through Christ and even into our daily lives. But early in this process, it's understandable why he's having to go like, no, no, remember, remember, like I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I This was very recently and I've been at this, but now we've got no excuse, right? God's faithfulness is all over the place. but that's not a silver bullet. Like, I think this is still something that we have to re-believe for ourselves as individuals. We have to re-believe it generationally, like not just our parents' faith, whatever, it has to be our faith, but it even has to be today's faith, not yesterday's faith. Cause this is not a, this is not a magic bullet. You said that throughout, like Asaph doesn't all of a sudden have a solution to his problems, but he does have a reignition of his belief in what God has accomplished. Um, in, in all of this though, we are talking about suffering. We're talking about the difficulties of life. Um, 
you something that you mentioned was that the Bible and following after God can make you better at life and make your life better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the best way to live, but it doesn't necessarily produce a perfect life. So talk to me about that tension. Yeah, I think what, what I wanted to be careful with was it kind of drifting into, for lack of a better term, like a moral nihilism that like, ah, the choices I make don't matter. It's a broken world. Pain's going to happen. So I might as well just do whatever I want because that's not really the case. Like I really do believe that God's rule, the rules, the, the laws, the principles that God sets up exist for our good. And because they're the best way to do things like any parent, almost all the time, the rules you set up are to prevent your kids from hurting themselves. Like you, you aren't telling them not to touch the stove because you want to keep them from all of the fun stove touching that they could possibly experience. You, (laughs) you, you and your experience and wisdom know that that's bad. Like, yeah. Okay. It's fun, whatever, but you're going to hurt yourself. And I, I really do believe that like, that's the essence of God's rules that the reason there are, are prohibitions and commands against certain things is because what God's doing is saying the most fulfilling, least painful, best way to live your life is to follow this set of rules. Mm-hmm. So I think there is that piece there that I think following God's plan will and does prevent you from experiencing a degree of pain in your life that you wouldn't, that you would experience if you just did your own thing. Right. But again, that doesn't always perfectly line up, right? It's not, my experience of pain is not always a result of a lack of godliness in my own life. Right. There are times when the brokenness of the world, sin of other people, or just the uh, lingering effects of sin in general cause pain and cause suffering that's independent of my own godliness. So there's a little bit of a tension there that like my decisions and my own godliness does play an impact on the quality of my life, but that's not the only factor. So if I'm, if I'm experiencing pain, what I can't do is just turn to myself and say, I must not believe enough, or I must not have had enough faith. If I, you know, pray for someone who's sick and they aren't healed, it's not because I don't have enough faith. It's not because I didn't do the right things. There's other things at play there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's always a so much as it depends on you factor, right? Mm-hmm. Your marriage will will there will be less pain in your marriage should you from start to finish honor God in all the decisions that you make so much mm-hmm. as it depends on you. That does not mean your marriage will never experience pain. It just means that there is a controllable quantifiable amount that I can influence cause and effect <laughs> between pain and and mm-hmm. outcomes and right decisions. Um, but that's not to say, of course, that we control all of them. There are still tragedies. There are still sicknesses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what Asaph is living, right? He's, he's, he's probably doing a lot of things right, right? He's, he's living and working in the temple that has, that had tons of standards in terms of what he had to, what kind of a person he had to be, what kind of character he had to do, what the sacrifices he had to give up. He's not taking an income. He's living off the generosity of the people of Israel. There's a lot about his life that he's given up for the sake of pursuing God, but he's still experiencing some kind of hurt. Now we don't know what that is, but the point is he, he didn't experience a lot of Asaph did not experience a lot of pain that he could have experienced had he been, you know, a pagan living some horrific lifestyle, 
but that doesn't mean he was free of pain. And I, I loved that tension in your message. And I wanted to at least mention it. Cause I think it, it definitely plays out for us as believers. We have to understand it's worth choosing the right thing, even just for the temporary outcomes, but that it's no kind of a magic bullet or a formula. Mm-hmm. But in all this, you told us to set up monuments, find God's faithfulness, set up a monument and then choose faith. There's always the decision point, but I loved, you said you even have like make it so that you trip over this truth, you know, like we have to physically move around it. So, um, you talked about journaling. I've mentioned before. I love to journal. It's a helpful thing to me. Frankly, I don't, I don't go back to it a ton. I, I'm not like, uh, what was God doing in my life in October of 2018? And I flip back. It that happens from time to time, but that's not my main point in doing it. Uh, what are, what are some things for you though? Like, what are, what are some monuments or things that you guys have done? Yeah. I, I definitely wouldn't call myself an expert on this, right? Like I think to some extent, anytime you teach something, there's a sense where you're just like, yeah, I'm not very good at this. Um, <laughs> yeah, about <but> that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm far from an expert on this. In fact, I would say that I would almost even say that I'm not very good about being proactive about this. So a lot of what I said is stuff that I need to work on myself, but I do think that I, I tend to see this part of the problem because I'm not proactive is I find these things retroactively. Mm. Like I'll be in the middle of a hard thing that I'm going through. And then it will, as God works it out, I'll be like, wait a minute, this feels familiar. I think I've been here before. So like, I'll remember almost too late in the process that like, once things start to get resolved, it's like, ah, you know what? We've done this before. I could have, you know, so I think definitely who is really good at this is my wife has mm. got all kinds of creative ways to do this. Um, her, her Instagram is in a sense, not, not necessarily with intent to be like this, but her Instagram is very much like a little journal, mm. um, that she frequently does reflect on and look back on, um, just in little, you know, she makes a post pretty much every day to kind of outlines some stuff that happened in the day and mm-hmm. is able to use that and, and reflect on that. And, um, yeah. So I'm not great at it. I do. I have sporadic fits of journaling in my life where in various versions and takes and styles where I'll, I'll write some stuff out. Um, but I'm not, I'm not by any means an expert, but it is helpful in the times where I have been good about it. It's nice to be able to have that as a, as a, a resource to myself to be able to kind of look back on yeah. three years ago. These moments are best captured in the moment. You know, there's, I think I've had times where I, you know, Lauren and I or whatever, we've sat down and been like, what are some cool things? Or like, let's, let's proactively try to develop some stories or like, what, what's the, what's, what has been the unifying thread through this hard time or whatever. But it's way easier if just in the moment it's jotted down and stuck Mm -hmm. in a, in a box. In fact, I was just reading a book um, this week called dad tired. That was really helpful. And it was talking about how to, create spiritual rhythms. And one of the things that this person said, which his kids are older, so this makes a little more sense, but they just have like a vase in their house somewhere with a, a little notebook by it. And the, the family ritual is that at least once a week, you're just writing like one small thing that God did and then putting it in. And then that's kind of like their new year's tradition is to go through this thing that they've been collecting all year, which I love that as an idea because it's, Justin, it's super easy to do in the moment, but then you'll be like, oh my goodness, I completely forgot about blah, blah, blah. And before your message, when we were brainstorming it a while ago, I've, I thought about like, man, I, I really want for our family, my family to have 
something really tangible. And, and I'm like, we got it. I need a box. I need a thing so that we can, I don't want my kids. I don't want to wait till they're 14 years old <laughs> to have talked about this for the first time as a family. I think there's power in the ritual of this uh, as a family in particular, because I think, again, thinking back to the the Passover, if that's the touchstone event, man, to this day, there's an unbroken chain of thousands of years mm-hmm. of Jewish people celebrating the Seder meal in a very ritualistic way, yep. in the exact same way, every single time. And that is not like, oh, just because they love routines and they're stuck in a rut. It's because like, no, it's really important that we remember this exactly the same way. And there's a kid, the youngest kid always asks, why? You know, and they ask this series of call and response questions and answers. And those are the kinds of rituals that I want to build into our family, but I don't know that I'm doing well. And I think we all could probably use some either, you know, whatever. I'm looking forward to your neck tattoo or whatever you're going to go with. As step one in this, but I know I want to, I want to be better at it. I would really love to have a proactive thing because God just comes through a ton. And it's so easy to forget that in the middle of crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Agreed. So, Hey, we should probably wrap this thing up. Um, Thank you for jumping in and spending Mm -hmm. the time to prepare this message. It was extremely helpful to me. Um, and I'm sure to the rest of our church, is there anything else you want to throw in here at the end of our time before we, uh, before we wrap it up? I think we've, we've, we've certainly taken enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Hey, again, thank you very much. Thank you to all of our listeners and watchers. We appreciate you taking the time each and every week. Um, and as you engage, so we will uh, continue to be able to spread this and be on the lookout this week. There's going to be plenty of information coming from our church. Um, as we interact with yellow and orange and red and record new cases and all kinds of stuff, trying to do ministry and effectively engage with our community during a time when things are still so unpredictable. Please uh, keep your eye on, on information from our church. Our website or your email is the best way to do that. If you're like me, it's easy to get behind in emails. But if there's one email you read this week, be sure you're reading the ones from our church. Thanks so much, guys. And we will talk to you next time.